Welcome to Loop TV. I'm Gene, along with Doug for Friday, February 25th. Our three topics today are Tesla in China, second is Facebook in Russia, and third is crypto in the Ukraine. We'll take it to the top. Is uh, Reuters is reporting that Tesla has plans to uh, essentially double its capacity for uh, building cars, production capacity in China, to 2 million cars per year. It's currently at 1.1 million. The way they do this is to uh, do an addition, an add-on, an expansion to Shanghai Giga. Uh, if you're curious, is Volkswagen has uh, some expectations that they're going to do uh, a million cars in 2023 in China, a million electric cars in China. And so you have uh, Tesla here essentially saying they're going to double their, their output in China. And we have Volkswagen saying that they're going to get to a million uh, cars per year. I'm going to take the final word on this one. Doug, first reaction. I think to be expected, not surprising. China is a big market for autos. About 20 million cars were sold in 2020 in China. And so it's a big opportunity for Tesla. I think they probably need to expand. And I think uh, obviously other competitors see that too, including domestic competitors in China. So I would expect to hear more of these production expansion stories even beyond Tesla. And when you look at that, the gap or a gap or lack thereof, however you would interpret it between what Tesla expectations are in Volkswagen, Volkswagen, correct me here, is the largest car producer in the world? One of, I think it was, if I remember correctly, I think Toyota produced slightly more last year. Okay. About 10 million, but they're both close. Okay. How do you think about that gap, the two to 1 million? I don't really think that much about it at all. I, I don't know that it really matters. Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to take time in either case to scale to those levels of sales. I mean, I think Tesla sold a few hundred thousand cars. I think you know this number better than I do right now in China. And so it'll take time for them to get to 1 million nonetheless, too. It could happen quickly. We'll see. But I think that you know the adoption of EVs will take time. It's not going to be something that just happens overnight. We're going to jump into the hypotheticals. I know how much you enjoy talking the hypotheticals. Uh, we, what if uh, Volkswagen would have said, we're going to do 5 million cars in 2024, something like that, or 3 million in 2023, more than Tesla? Would you say that that meant anything or it just still is largely irrelevant? Nope. All that matters is sales, and we're just guessing at what sales would be. You have to have the capacity to sell, so that matters. But I think these projections about capacity are sort of irrelevant, uh, and what really matters and what will matter is how many cars they actually sell over the next few years. Makes sense. I said I was going to have the final word, and I my final word is Peloton. When you think about production, versus sales, production plans versus sales. Our next topic is Russian government is blocking certain aspects of uh, Facebook relative to, uh, they said that some sharing of erroneous uh, video coming from the Ukraine, um, so says Russian uh, leaders, and therefore uh, they're going to be limiting uh, some of the Facebook access. Uh, just as a remind, it reminds me, I guess, of the power of uh, Facebook. Uh, but there's, I think, a much bigger read here. Well, I think that really what's happening is in modern warfare, social media is sort of an indispensable part 
of controlling the narrative or trying to get your narrative out about what's happening. And so not only were there some uh, videos, I think, that Russia objected to, but Facebook also was restricting some of the stories that were coming out from state-sponsored uh, state media in Moscow. And so I think that you know Russia is, is frustrated. They have the ability to put clamps on uh, you know, what is distributed and what is shared uh, on the internet there, just like China has done. Uh, they don't allow Facebook either. And to me, I think this is something that we're going to be talking a lot more about. We talked about it a lot this week already, but I think we're going to see more and more of this. I mean, my view is that we've been in a sort of social media, informational sort of war with uh, other countries for years now. Well, I'd and say with ourselves in politics. Ourselves too, but I think other countries have contributed. We, we're well aware, I think, of uh, potential Russian interference with elections uh, over the past few years. And I would assume that we'll continue to have interference from our enemies in our future democratic processes. And so, you know, social media is just one angle of that. Um, but I think that it is a tool that certainly countries overseas are using against us and can also be used against them. And so figuring out how do we, you know, level the playing field there, I think is important. And it brings me back to TikTok. I mean, I think it's the elephant in the room every day that we see something happening with fa Facebook in Russia uh, or social media in China is another day that I think calls grow louder for people saying, hey, you know, TikTok is controlled by the Chinese government. And it's a, re a relevant question about, you know, whether or not it should be allowed here. I just, I think we might've said this in a previous episode. It just doesn't feel like it's going to end well with TikTok in the U.S. And the, in some ways it, it you know, you don't need uh, global conflict to uh, justify some impact of some of these businesses. You just need a perceived uh, threat. This is a threat to how uh, governments control information and manage information. Social networks are a threat and a tool, as you said. And I just think the threat of uh, TikTok is going to become a bigger uh, topic globally. Uh, I'm going to say the over-under around uh, getting banned, or uh, I won't do an over-under because that says it's going to happen. Um, I'm not going to ask you to put probabilities on it. I'm going to put a probability on it. 30% chance that TikTok is uh, significantly metered or banned in two years in the U.S. Uh, just a fun hypothetical out there. We'll go to our last topic, which is uh, the Ukraine uh, related to crypto. So CNBC reporting that you can't do uh, transfers out of the country, uh, bank transfers out of the country. Uh, that's probably because there's been some runs on the bank, but also, there's been 4 million crypto has been reported, donated to uh, a group supporting the Ukrainian army. I hope that these are not uh, fraudsters uh, trying to um, uh, play a role here. But uh, let's say that that's all true, that uh, people are finding a way to get money to um, Ukrainian army. What What is, uh, you know, beyond just the, the nada support, there's something much bigger going on here. Well, and it ties somewhat to the prior conversation with TikTok and questions of free speech and information control. And I think that crypto is becoming clearer and clearer that it is fundamentally free speech. I mean, I think money is speech to a large extent. It allows you to survive. And I think it allows you uh, to take actions behind your words. And so the use of crypto, and I think the growing use of crypto, because we have some of these 
uh, government-imposed restrictions, whether they should or shouldn't happen, uh, crypto is sort of the answer to that uh, in Ukraine. It's the answer to that in China, because crypto fundamentally is not subject to central authority. I mean, that's, that's kind of the purpose behind it. And obviously, the religion that has been built on top of crypto and that belief is what makes it valuable. But when you combine those two things, which is decentralized uh, uh, blockchain protocol and the religion that people believe something has value, then you do have something that is unique from a monetary standpoint. And I think that you know when, when we have situations like Ukraine where there are restrictions on money and people are finding workarounds and that workaround is crypto... I think it just strengthens the use case and the viability of crypto in the face of people who say, hey, like what, what's the point, right? Like it's fake money. I don't get it. Like this is it. This is the answer. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I'm curious when you think about some of the sanctions and some of the sanctions targeting hyper wealthy Russian people, is crypto their answer? Are they kind of looking at these sanctions and kind of rolling their eyes and saying, I've got Bitcoin on my side? I would imagine that that's probably part of an answer for them. And I would imagine that many of those uh, that were on the sanction list probably knew it was coming. Uh, I'm sure that the Russian government probably told them it was coming uh, as part of you know their, their pre-planning. And so I would imagine some of them probably already moved some of their assets into crypto so that they do have some you know, non-restrictable or sort of censorship-free ability to transfer some of their uh, wealth and assets. And lastly, uh, tying back to uh, some of the, the ways that we're competing, countries are competing with each other when we think about some of the hacking and uh, from that perspective, and we've had some hacks around crypto, is, are we just gonna see, is, is crypto have this nice tailwind that you just described, but also a headwind because bad actors are gonna get better at uh, trying to crack uh, passcodes and therefore, does this idea that it's actually a, a safe place to keep your money, does that erode away? I think that there will be more innovation around the safety for crypto because that is part of mass adoption is people, the, the broad populace, not just the tech forward populace has to be comfortable with owning it and using it. And I think that that, by the way, is some of the use cases for centralized places where you can buy and maybe store your crypto coinbase is an example of that um, but to me you know i think i think cyber anything with you know crypto crypto cyber security these things have always been sort of a cat and mouse game when you talk about sort of uh, digital evil right and so the people who try to commit nefarious acts whether that's to hack into some system and and mess up you know the water supply somewhere or if they try to hack into someone's crypto wallet and take their money, there's always going to be people who are on the forefront of figuring out unique ways to get access, illegal access to those things. And there's always going to be people that are on the other side trying to figure out those ways and, and to plug those holes. I don't think that feature ever goes away. I mean, that's just a feature of, I think, uh, digital systems in general, is that there will always be a cat and mouse game between good and evil. Uh, and I think the thing with crypto is if you have your assets with a, a verifiable, good institution, I think they will ultimately be the ones that back you up. Makes sense. It's uh, going to be a big place of innovation, I'm sure, around that security piece to it. And I agree that the average person today still feels that crypto is a fad. And uh, we, of course, at Loop do not believe that. We think it's going to be around for, for pretty much forever. On behalf of Doug, Gene, and this Friday, 
uh, episode of Loop TV. Bye for now.